quality programming with your support. Consider becoming a member of WHIV by setting up monthly donations of any amount that you wish. This could be a dollar, five, ten, a hundred, a thousand dollars. Kenny donates ten thousand dollars a month. Whatever you can do, Kenny's rich. I'm telling you what, education is the way to go. <laughs> um, all uh, donations to WHIV are tax deductible, so that's another thing that you guys should consider as well. We have a new line of T-shirts, perfect for. Uh, the season that we are in right now, you can go to WHIV, fm.org, click store, click donate, just click around, see all the cool shows we have. Thank you for supporting WHIV. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are indeed a mission with a radio station, which makes us super cool, and we're very proud to be here for everybody. Uh, we are uh, very proudly uh, streaming live on 1230 AM WBOK. So if you're tuned in on 1230 AM WBOK, and if you're tuned in on WHIV, welcome everybody to Resistance Radio. When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. George Bush doesn't care about black people. They have a Black History Month, but we don't have a White History Month. Well, all we've ever been taught is white history. If it was not for the love and respect shown to me by black women, those right-wing, ultra-conservative, alt-right haters, they would have me believe I'm too black, I'm too confrontational, I'm too tough, and I'm too disrespectful of them. But now I know I'm simply a strong black woman. We're in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean-spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be about. What is bad is not what they are doing. What would be bad is for us not to fight back. Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 WHIV LPFM, and you are listening to Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Allendary. That's Kenny Francis, looking Hi. dapper as always. Uh, you were dapper last night too at, uh, at our after party for very nice. now. I uh, I thought so. Uh, what did you think about the the cool movie we showed last night? I thought it was great. I thought it was. Um Heavy. <laughs> yeah. Real quickly, <laughs> just heavy. that we showed a movie last night as part of Ethno in which uh, the um, 
the public defender's office here in New Orleans uh, are f- beginning to film uh, their short documentaries of their clients. Which I think is a brilliant idea. To show at the sentencing phase of a trial so that instead of a judge seeing somebody uh, wearing an orange jumpsuit and shackled. They see a human being. They're seeing a human being. They're seeing the structural poverty. And yeah. in the case in the movie that we saw last night called Katie and the Black Robin Hood done by the amazing John Ritchie. And thank you so much to that whole group that let us show that movie what we saw was really structural generational poverty and structural violence Mm -hmm. uh and uh uh, and a person who was completely failed by every single one of our safety net systems absolutely yeah and uh, like i mean i think one of the more powerful pieces of the film was that he said he was like my goal when i committed this crime was to get into federal prison because they have better services there and just that sentence yeah just think about the state of our democracy and our society that that's and that's a reality he was spot on he was spot on that like rather than being out on the street and trying to make it work rather than being in like a state state prison ending up doing federal time given the services that he needed was probably the best case scenario for him and just like think about that for a second folks and just how backwards and screwed up that is that's capitalism and that's what unfettered capitalism does and the other really powerful moment too was when a judge uh calvin johnson no it wasn't johnson we'll talk about him in a second it was it wasn't donahue i forget it was mark uh oh, the guy who was in the film the, in the film uh it's uh Do- D- judge doherty he said uh that every that that the system and to have a judge say this that the system failed every step of the way mm-hmm. and to have a judge acknowledge that i just i thought that was also a very powerful part of the movie and even Katie said that she got lucky with that interview that she was able to kind of have him openly admit that yeah. that was the case and and which makes again these 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 movies uh these short documentaries that the public defender's office is doing such a powerful idea and I don't want to take anything away from the movie or the really good discussion that happened yeah. afterwards I do while I was sitting there I was thinking that it's like here we are trying to discuss the humane way to incarcerate people yeah, so and I and like and I couldn't also, and that was something that was just sort of hanging in the air for right, me which is part right. of why you were probably surprised that I had nothing to say I was like well because like I didn't want to derail from what was like a real good conversation I was having but I was like the fact that we're sitting here discussing yeah. how to humanely incarcerate people is kind of the problem right yeah you're absolutely right and and I was struggling and I, I didn't put it into words until you just said it just now but I was kind of quasi struggling with with that notion uh, as well but we had the panel because I, I realized that everyone's got to like attack the problem for where they're at right Judge Johnson can only have de- dealt what he had purview over as a judge um, the woman the public defender Katie she's going to do it from where she is so it's I'm not like criticizing them I'm saying that this idea that we're sitting here advocating for more humane ways to lock people up and incarcerate them rather than creating preventative and proactive social systems that provide our, our citizens, particularly the most vulnerable ones, with their needs so that crime, which we know all of the reasons, the social determinants of crime and generational poverty and structural racism, instead of like spending money on that, we're here, we're talking about, well, how do we like lock someone up in a less inhumane way, which is crazy it's a depressing place it's, to it, be it in it as is. a society it is it is it is and it, i like i said i get that people who care and who are working on this can only you know start working on it where that where they're at you know for me it's like i work in education and i wish we would just like fund schools at the levels that we need to fund it for but like that's not the world we live in we live in a, fa- a world where we live in a society that pretends to have a value that every child deserves a quality education but we don't do that 
with our budget or with any other other priorities. So you have to like start where we're at and try to fix it from there. Yeah, let me see if I can rephrase what you just said. Um, we live in a society that prioritizes uh, uh, prisons and funding prisons and deprioritizes uh, funding schools. Or mental health care. Or, yeah, fill in the blank. But in, in this particular case. any of the proactive measures that would actually keep people from getting to said right. federal prison. I, the, the best way to avoid, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, and we're going to talk a lot about uh, the mayor uh, in the second half of our program. Uh, and I know we kind of started off slightly disjointed. Uh, and, uh, but the mayor is, has, says something along, usually the, uh, the best way to avoid a bullet is a job. Right, is a yeah. job. So exactly right. So in the the best way to avoid prison would be schools. And 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 we all know that. I think anybody, nobody, I don't, you don't need to be a doctor or a social scientist or an educator to know that. But the fact that that's not happening at the in Baton Rouge or in Washington D.C. or what have you, it almost seems like the system is set up purposely so that there is a school to prison pipeline. There's a reason why that term exists, and 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 you know, and I, and I just feel like this is I mean, being in, done in intentionally. In a state that's 49th in education in terms of outcomes and funding. Um, in a state that's has been first in incarceration for quite some time. I know Oklahoma is technically first now, but right. cool, yeah, we're second. Cool. Yeah, um, yeah, and in a state that where for profit prisons still exist, like yeah, that is the design of the system. That is the design. Of the the point of the system was to that, lock up as many people and as brown as they can get as and possible, brown. and <laughs> right. a bunch of people are making money off of that right. and have been making money right. off of that, and that's and the system that we. That have. is a quintessential. Great example of what structural racism absolutely looks like in in, in modern day uh, America. There was can you? I just I read something about tops. Just the, was there something about tops? In I didn't the, catch it. Okay, so there I was something. Know. There was I think there I'm was, assuming the funding got, probably yes, endangered again course. for like the eight. Do you want to really time? quickly explain what tops is, and then we'll start the show for me? Um, sure. Tops is a program run by that's a state program. Essentially, what it helps does is it helps pay for um, college to go to public. To go to public universities in the state, so like you can go to like LSU or any of the other public um, institutions in the state. Um, There are some academic requirements around it. You have to get a certain score on the on the ACT. There's obviously like income requirements for it, and. Tops is always in the news because every time there's a budget fight, it's like the first thing to get cut. And so every single time we have this conversation, oh, we haven't collected enough taxes. Well, let's get rid of the college program. Like every time, and. Yeah, I mean, it, it it says a whole lot about our priorities as a state that every single time there's a budget deficit, the first thing that we start cutting is like healthcare and, and education programs. I was like, wait, why are we 49th in both of those things? Right, yeah, I wonder. I wonder. So, did Tops was it a successful program? I I, th- I think it's I think it's I mean, depending on how you define success. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's like extremely loaded question. Sure, sure, that but, we but need just, to do a whole show on right, right. So just keeping it short. I mean, essentially, is tops, it, is it tops a positive? Ga- yes, tops gave an opportunity positive. for yes. for 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 students. Yes, uh, to go to college. Yes, and tops, ideally, tops is a net positive. Like, yeah, okay, that's what I'm saying. A broad statement. It's a net positive. Right, in that like a lot of people have gone to school who could not have gone to school right. without it. Right. Are there problems with the program? Obviously. Obviously. There's problems with every program. Yeah, but I mean, especially in a program that's constantly being whittled. I mean, if you had yeah. a building, stru- if you yeah. had a structure and you just continually poked at the foundation, you know, I termites do that all the time, right? We're in termite season now, right? I mean, eventually that, that, that foundation is like going to be. If you would have just funded it the way it should have been funded from the beginning. And then left it alone, than right? Piecemeal yes. here, there, 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 there. And then you're like, oh, no, we still don't have enough money for this. And also, I need this for this. I need this for that. And then you're like, wait, this program's not working. It's like, well, you, you didn't actually implement it with a. Fide- it's like anything else. 
if you implement things with fidelity, they have a chance of working the way they were intended to. Right. If you don't implement it with fidelity, th- but then things it, are going to happen. That's another example of how the system works in that th- that the idea will come up. It's not funded totally. The people who are opposed to that idea will then point to that program and say, well, you see, we did it. And it but doesn't it, work. And it failed. So now we need to get rid of it. So, right. Yeah, that, exactly. And that is another yeah. thing that is another tool that gets used that's always thrown in progressive faces that, well, look at the schools were failing beforehand. You know, we, I think we even had this yeah. conversation. I'm like, and well, like, the schools weren't necessarily failing. They just weren't funded. And taking it to like a more like um, like with, with the conversation happening right now in, in a bunch of states, particularly the abhorrent things happening up in Georgia – is that's essentially what they're trying to do with abortions right now and with any sort of like reproductive health care is essentially they're trying to make it so difficult for a woman to get safe and affordable care for her body and to make choices for her body that she wants that people are going to start making dangerous decisions and then they'll go, see? Right. See? No, no, you're hun- you're that's exactly what's trying to happen now. correct. You're absolutely- they're trying to make it as like illegal and dangerous to get an abortion if that's the choice that you make as possible so that when they can come up with some horror story to say, see, this is some horrible thing that no one should be allowed to do. And it's a, it's a dastardly, dastard plan. Um, before we go way down this rabbit hole of random things, um, we, we do have a couple of guests that are coming on. They're going to come in a second. But I do want to go over an important update that I talked about last week on this show. This Thursday, that's this Thursday, the 15th? Is that or the 16th? No, the 16th. Sorry, y'all. This Thursday, May 16th, the city council is going to be taking a very important vote. And you've heard us talk about this a bunch. We talked about it last week with Councilwoman Cindy Wynn. Our city council is scheduled to take up the recommendations made by the city planning commission and to take a vote on the short-term rental ordinance that is going to govern Airbnb and other rental types like it. Um, I do want to remind folks of what some of the city planning commission recommendations were. And if you have time between now and Thursday, make sure you reach out to both your district council member and the at-large council members and let them know your feelings and make sure that these are in there so that we have homes for people and not for profit. So the three things that we are recommending folks um, to reach out about and that were in the city planning commission um, report and recommendations to the council was one to require a mandatory homestead exemption in order to get a short-term rental permit in residential neighborhoods Two, to cap the number of commercial short-term rentals in a car, in apartment buildings. Um, remember, commercial short-term rentals are the type that you don't have to have an owner present. And to place a cap on how many of those that you can have and also to require that they fund affordable housing in some way. There's one part of it that says that 25% of that commercial building can be used for short-term rentals with the other 75% having to be affordable housing. I think that's a great policy idea that it should build in. If you want to come to New Orleans and make money off of buying up our property and creating short-term rentals, then you got to contribute to helping with the housing problem that we have here. And then the third part being increasing the nightly fees um, to support and putting that money towards affordable housing. At the end of the day, guys, um, I think a couple things I want to say here is like if you express anything to your council person, Express to them that we want, we the people of New Orleans want and need companies like Sonder to pay their fair share. I'm purposely using that word because we're going to be talking a lot about the fair share deal that the, the mayor struck with the governor's office. But these companies need to pay their fair share. If you're coming and you're doing business here, the price of business is, is paying taxes and paying towards the betterment of our city. And right now, that is not happening. Right now, there's money being made hand over fist. 
and they're not contributing their their fair share. And we need that. I think anyone who looks outside yesterday knows that we need. Yeah, it's a we need timely. Like we need this. Yeah. Um, and so that vote is happening this Thursday. That is the seventeenth of May in the in the council chambers, probably around eleven a.m. Reach out to your city council person before then and let them know your thoughts and make sure that there are no sunset provision, no sunset provisions in the affordable housing parts of it, and that Airbnb folks have to contribute. That and it's we need to do that. So uh, if you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV LP FM. We are proudly streaming live on 1230 AM WBOK. This is Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Allendary. That's Kenny Francis. Thank you, Kenny, for the activist update. We have two uh, great guests uh, on the uh, uh, for the rest of the show. Uh, so for uh, the second half of the first half hour, we have uh, Miss Ursula Price, who's the executive director of the New Orleans Workers' Center for Racial Justice. And uh, I received, uh, we asked, uh, uh, we asked uh, uh, Miss Ursula to come on air because I got an email last week uh, showing a new report uh, that shows that state interference uh, prevents gender and racial equity. Uh, and essentially what we found is that the preemption laws that we have been talking a lot about uh, on WHIV repeatedly, uh, now a study actually documents uh, that it does lead to racial disparities. But instead of hearing me talk about it, I'm going to let Miss Ursula talk about it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us on. This is such an important and timely issue for our whole community, but especially the women of color in New Orleans who are raising children and supporting our community. Uh, this study has, is hugely impactful because it proves that Louisiana was one of the first states to preempt local uh, economies, local governments from setting standards for its workers. And we have the widest gender pay gap in the entire country. That's amazing. The whitest, the white, widest. <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little Freudian. Like, there, huh? Very Freudian. Yes. That um, was really yeah, appropriate, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I, actually, I actually read the report you guys put out um, before we came on air and doing some. And yeah, it's we're at 60 cent, 66 cents on the dollar for women in Louisiana. Nationally, I think it's what, 90 cents on the dollar? So I mean, yes. 90 cents on the dollar is bad enough that there's a gender pay gap. But then, of course... Good old Louisiana. We te- we tend to be significantly we go hard, worse, right? <laughs> we, we just like love, you know, moving backwards from the mean in terms of like bad things that we're doing. It's crazy. I'm from Mississippi. I thought that we were right. the worst, but uh, no, Louisiana is the worst, and that gender pay gap is even worse for women of color, black women, Latinx women. Uh, and keep in mind, it came out last year that our children are in the worst condition of everyone here in the country. We have a very high proportion of children being raised in single-parent homes. So the outcome here is uh, marginalizing women of color means marginalizing our children. Yeah. And we have something like 40% of children are living in food insecure homes as well. Yes. I mean, and we, I think we have the highest rates of of childhood poverty, but I know a statistic I usually lecture on is that we have the highest rates of black childhood poverty uh, in the country as well. And if you want to know where all this youth violence stems from, yeah, this then look to the economic we conditions. Yeah. So what was the study? Uh, this was a study done by the Partnership for Working Families. Uh, and it's called For All of Us, By All of Us. Uh, so a little play on FUBU, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a very short but impactful report. And it highlights four states, Louisiana being one of them. I encourage everyone to take a look at it, right? Because another thing this points out 
is what would happen if we closed the gender pay gap, right? So for instance, if black women made the same wage as white men, they could pay for 32.8 months of childcare. They could pay for 18.9 months of rent. And they could pay for two years in a public university. Translating that into reality, people would not be dependent on economic uh, ladders created by the government. They would be able to support themselves if they were able to just make the same wage for the same work. Yeah, I mean, and then we'd also have a society of women who are able to actually fully participate in our economy and get education and have a fair chance. But why would we want that? Right, That's y'all look, black <laughs> no one, women keep no one saving us. <laughs> yeah. Don't you want us? <laughs> yes, the, the answer is yes, <laughs> undeniably yes, absolutely. Yes, uh, the, our uh, our membership is of black and Latinx uh, men and women, right? But we all realize that our women are part of our infrastructure. They are the ones who get their men to the meetings and get them participating and sure. bring the babies, right? They are part of how our movement is strong. And I'm so proud to stand beside these women and, and engage in this fight. I think it's also important to point out, though, that the people who started this fight were white men. This port also this report also proves not just here in Louisiana, but in all four of the states they highlighted. So the states were Pennsylvania, Colorado, Tennessee, and Louisiana. I didn't yes. mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No. Yes. It's relevant information. Uh, and in all four of those states, uh, the drivers of preemption legislation were white men who were being uh, influenced by corporations. There we go. So even if you are not concerned about pay disparity or racial justice, you should care that this state's decision makers are not uh, beholden to our needs and desires, but to corporate needs and desires. Corporations that don't pay taxes in this state, by the way. Right, which is how this conversation actually, how this conversation actually started. So, can you give us an example of some of these preemption laws that that we now know uh, create uh, racial disparities in Louisiana? Absolutely, in Louisiana, um, they passed a law stopping a minimum wage increase after the city of New Orleans voted to raise wages. They also stopped us from creating minimum basic standards around sick leave and um, medical, I'm sorry, medical leave and vacation. Was right? that this, this, this cycle? They, they, that was done in the 90s at the same time yeah, they stopped okay. the minimum wage increase. They also tried to create a preemption law to stop from removing Confederate monuments. Billy Nungesser tried to oh, do that. Yes. Right, right, right. He tried to push right. it to the legislature. To, right, right, right. I do remember that. then the that. Black Caucus was like, oh, hell no. Right, right, yeah. And there <laughs> are moves reason. to preempt laws around like, people's rights to yeah. access to health care. Right. Uh, so uh, there's a whole swath of moves to like corrupt the political process and stop local governments and local uh, communities from being self-determinant. And we have to wonder, especially here in New Orleans, right? If you actually read the Louisiana Revised Statutes, you will see all these laws that say except New Orleans, uh-huh. right? Or all these laws that only apply to New Orleans. Uh, it is not fair that our fate is in the hands of people who don't know us and don't care about us and don't even feel safe coming here. There's a hilarious irony that, you know, people who are supposedly these like small government liberal yeah, like yeah, like person, personal right liberal people there. are like wait no 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 we need to make sure that this is uniform 
Um, yes. A, a little bit of more context I want to give to this, because I found this fascinating, um, is the proliferation of preemption laws at state level across the country. And it's been, really been happening in large numbers. It's, it's been around for a while. In fact, preemption laws go back to the idea of the federal government creating laws that you cannot contradict a federal law with a state law. And so originally it was a good thing because it was like, hey, you can't keep doing slavery because that's now illegal right, federally. That was the- or like Brown versus Board of Education passed. You can't just keep segregating. Look at you, Mississippi. They just segregated their last – they just desegregated their last school system like last year. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The – so, like, originally that was the point of this. But now what's what happened is corporations figured out that, oh, if I can take over a state house basically with my um, donations, I can create a bunch of preemption laws um, and stop all these things that could would happen from a grassroots level and stop that at the state house. As um, – as, um, as Roy said, yeah, as yeah, um, Representative, Representative Roy said last week, it's much easier to concentrate power in a state house, you know – essentially pay off some legislators with campaign donations and say, I need you to preempt this, 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 and this, and there goes your whole grassroots movement right. about whatever you're trying to stop. Um, and I also find this fascinating because you and I always have this argument about like about politics and about money in politics and coming back to this. is It started in 2011 because guess what passed in 2010? Well, yeah, no, Citizens, Citizens United, United right. of course. And like we come back oftentimes like citizens united and that decision was probably one of the worst decisions well i was i was go back to 1974 it was the powell memo that got uh, powell that's when nixon first recognized uh, powell was uh, nixon's attorney and he wrote a memo basically saying we need to uh put more money into politics at that point that was not that was whoa and then he became a supreme court judge as a result of that powell memo and then there's been this shift starting with carter you know this is when we started to see more more money uh in, in politics politics uh, particularly. So I agree with you, but l- let me just also say this, that these preemption laws are basically old white dudes who recognize the country's changing. Yeah. They know yeah. the country's changing. So what are they trying to do? They know New Orleans is going to completely be, com- is not like the rest of the state. So they completely have to control New Orleans f- before the, the, the progressiveness that we have here or what have you. Is, is the rest is, of the is, state. Exactly yeah. right. That's exactly. Yeah. And, and that is the problem with these preemption laws. Classic containment And they theory. already know yes. that the yes, majority exactly right. of Louisiana Cannons want to raise the wage. Those polls have of already come in. What person is going to say like, "Oh, I want, I want to <laughs> work for seven fifty, right?" Who's <laughs> right. Gonna, they know, they know that if they listen, when we speak together as a united voice, we can get a lot done. But what you try to do is you try to create those divisions, right? Yes. And that's how we. That's how we speak with a disunited voice. So our voices are not united, right? And right. when and these preemption laws, and again, you're you're the expert. I don't mean to be kidding. No, <laughs> these I, preemption laws are meant to keep us absolutely. in our place. And if let's you will. not be foolish here. The corporations are organized too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. In Louisiana, Alec, that right. legislation <laughs> came directly from Alec. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, right. We talk American, about, about Alec. American <laughs> legislative. <laughs> yeah. American <laughs> Legislative Exchange Council. Right. So, did y'all talk about who funded Alec? Um, is, I'm sure the Koch brothers probably yes. fund Alec. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Foster Freeze and all the uh, name of. So yeah, they are yeah. building organization. They're building uh, a political line, right. and all their people are on board. That's why it's just as important that we be organized. Yes, yeah, that you're we right. be on the same. I'm going to draw a really simple, straight line for folks here who like aren't policy nerds, like the three of us are. In 2010, essentially, 
corporations won the long battle to be recognized as a person. And that's and Citizens United decided that a corporation is a person and a person should be able to make political contributions to promote their values. Since then, since that passed and since that became the law, what corporations have been doing is they've been spending ungodly amounts of money organizing in order to get the rules both at the federal and the state level in an advantageous as possible position for them, regardless of what may or may not be good for our society, for the state that they're trying to do business in, whatever. And something that they figured out very quickly is if you can preempt things at the state house, you can basically control the state legislature wherever you're doing business and do whatever you feel like, get whatever tax things killed or passed. And that's what's been happening all across the country. That's why we're seeing these preemption laws pop up everywhere. everywhere. Right, right. Everywhere. And like Alec, I think the the true nefarious danger of like Alec is that they figured out how to essentially make a cookie cutter factory of like really bad conservative legislation where we always joke about it. But yeah, it's true that half the time right. these bills are filed, they just like take Arkansas cross, out, they like cross they out Louisiana. Arkansas <laughs> and put Louisiana mm-hmm. right. and they just go and they put these in the different state houses and they say, also, here's your $5,000 donation right. mm-hmm. to make sure this gets through. They're so easy to buy. Off. And it's just, yeah. here you go. And, and you know who is the featured speaker uh, at last year's Alec uh, conference? I was here in New Orleans. No. John Bell Edwards. Yes, it was. Yes, that is true. Uh, yes, oh, that makes me sick. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. People get mad at me when I tell people oh. like the dude. Like, and I'm not gonna anyway. Well, you know, listen. you got to play both sides, I guess. But uh, yeah, the the point being, whether John Bell is confused or not, the people are clear. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I really, that is really awesome. Like that. Thank and I you. Think he will find that our power is just as good backup as that money from Alec. Yeah. Um, we are rolling in strong. So I want to make sure people know we're going to the legislature Thursday. Buses will be rolling out at 6 a.m. from Corpus Christi Church on St. Bernard Avenue. And we're going to Baton Rouge to talk to the legislature and let them know our position on things. We invite everyone to join us. Where can people find out more information about y'all as in general, as the work that you do? Our com- campaign is a coalition of many organizations. Uh, so for the Unleash campaign, please visit unleashlocal.org. You can also visit the Worker Center's website, nowcrj.org. That's the New Orleans Worker Center for Racial Justice.org. Um, and both of those websites will tell you anything you need to know about the preemption campaign. So the, the, the law, the real quick, sorry, the the bill that Royce Duplessis uh, uh, wrote, I think it was HB four twenty two, or yes. the it. I know it went to a uh, the labor. It went to the labor. Committee. It went to labor committee, and I know that the, a lot of bills like that will go to labor committee to die. Is there an update on that bill? Uh, we are still working hard to get it back in the municipal community. So, uh, you're, so you're trying to – is it possible to move it over once it gets assigned? I mean what kind of – It was originally assigned to the municipal committee. Which is where it belonged because right. New Orleans is a municipal. And then right. uh, on a day where very few people were in the chamber, mm, a Republican uh, House member dies in the dark. got it yes. moved to the labor committee. Uh, that can be undone. Okay, good. All right, so uh, that's, meanwhile, that's positive. meanwhile, even if it can't be undone, uh, we believe that the people in the Labor Committee can also be convinced if they actually care about laborers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, both Kenny and I just made a face. Hold, like, yeah. hold, holding our breaths over. Right, yeah. We're, we're both turning blue now. Louisiana's economic development, because here's the other point, right? Um, there is no uh, positive precedent for 
investing economic development in the top down. Yeah. Right. We have 30 years of that philosophy and look what it has gotten us. I have one more point in this to add to that, which I find, I think one of my favorite things about being sort of like the politics nerd that I am is when conservatives accidentally say what they really mean. That's like my, those are my favorite moments in <laughs> politics. And like, I was listening to some of the testimony in the legislature um, after De- Representative DuPlessis put the bill in and an argument that a conservative legislator, I think he was out of like Tangipahoa Parish or something like that. He said, basically, and I think Royce has done a really good job of like framing this argument using a lot of the, con- the conservative arguments against big government, against what preemption would normally be used for against them and say like, wait, you guys are all about local choice. But again, that's assuming that they, that they yeah. don't mind being It was like, you consistent. guys are, you guys are all about right. like local government right. control and small government. Like you should be for this. What I'm saying is that the big state government shouldn't come in and tell localities what to do. Isn't that what y'all say on literally every other issue? Um, and this guy responded saying, well, you know, what we're trying to ensure is that the economic, the economic, um, what do you say? The economic climate in Louisiana is such that, you know, we have a predictable market that a, a, a business coming in understands that this is a predictable market and it's, and it has like uniformity and it's like, okay, so like. Diving, so keep everything the so way like it's reading, always been. So like reading through your BS there, what you're saying is that your corporate backers who want you to get this passed, they want to be able to predict what things are going to cost no matter where they go mm-hmm. and be able to control that price through you. That's what you, and you just said that out loud. That's a great as like an intelligent Penny, as like Penny, an argument a, for it's it. It's a great point. No. It's and such it's just a great like point, I love Kenny. when conservatives actually accidentally say what they really mean. I was like, oh, so you're just nakedly saying that you're that you're here to. To represent their interests, not ours. Just real right. quickly, just tell the story because we got to wrap it up the, of Senator J.P. Morrell when. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> right. um, if when the when the if the, you're, if you're a long term listener of the show, um, you remember when we were talking about the unanimous juries bill and we had J.P. Morrell on a bunch, and he told us a story of like something that basically got it out of committee. Right, was they had all this testimony from all these prosecutors and all these folks in the justice system about how not having unanimous juries was absurd and racist and all the really bad things about it. And this one DA from Northwest Louisiana comes in and he's like, I'm here to speak against this. Like, I don't think we should change this. And he's like, look, the law is based in racism. We all know that, but that's just kind of how it is. And this is how we've been doing it. And he basically, he said, he said, you know, I have, you know, a very high conviction rate for my cases and this helps my conviction rate. And he essentially like admitted, he was like, yeah, this law is racist, but like, I like my conviction rates and it's going to make it harder. And people were like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Yeah, wow. that's actually uh, you can actually that's YouTube. You can look you can YouTube. Yeah, yeah look yeah. it up. Look it up, man. You it's, can look it's it up. It's cringe inducing, you know. <laughs> and JP Senator Morell said, you know, like it was almost like he did. That was the biggest favor he oh, could yeah. have done because he's like all of a sudden everyone's like, well, I don't want to be on that side, <laughs> right? Like that's just naked racism. Like our racism is usually hidden, you right. know. Like, I've we got can, better manners than that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, as we were wrapping up, uh, uh, so. Thursday, so people can go Thursday. Uh, Thursday, we're going to the Capitol, and yes, call your state representatives, especially Royce DePlessis. He is having a rock star freshman year. Oh, Let him know you're yeah, supporting him. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's, and, yeah, he's come out the gates firing. Yeah. And uh, Dan Clater said yep. it. So the listener oh, who's, who sent oh, yes. that in, thank you so much. Dan, thank you for whoever said that. Dan Clater. So look, YouTube Dan Clater, like, and yeah, enjoy that. 
Um, I do want to shout out one more legislature in not a positive way, negative way. Um, if you're living in Metairie or in some certain parts of like um, in certain parts of Uptown, call Steffi Hilfiger and see what she thinks because she also happens to be up for election this uh, year, yeah, folks. Yeah, good yes, two thirds um, of the so, legislatures. Yeah. You know, two thirds, two thirds of our, our and also forty percent of them are term limited. And so there's a chance for real change in legislature this year if we can get good candidates up. And we know that the New Orleans delegation is like typically very progressive and also all, almost always Democrat. So like I'm not saying there isn't work to be done there. I'm saying that we have a Republican friend named Stephanie Hilferty who's somebody's neighbor. Yeah. Somebody I would love her, to know her thoughts on this bill. Give her a call, y'all. Ursula Price, who's the executive director of the New Orleans Workers Center for Racial Justice. Uh, thank you so very much. We are so grateful for you to come in. Please come back and talk to us more. Uh, we'd love to hear about more stuff that's happening on the state. Thanks Wonderful. for joining us. Thank you. Can you can you give us your, the website one more time? I just I always want to remember to do that. Nowcrj. dot org, and you can find out more information there. Thank you so much, Ursula. Yes, thank you. Um, so in a second, we're going to transition over to the what we're going to talk about for the rest of the hour, which is we're talking about the fair share compromise that the city of New Orleans reached with the governor's office, and which is now going to be going through the legislature for approval. And so while we set up to do that, I'm just going to give folks sort of like a brief background about it. So if you've listened to anything that Mayor Cantrell has talked about since she was candidate Cantrell, she has been talking about New Orleans doesn't get its fair share, that we raise all this tax dollars and we haven't been getting enough of the tax dollars into the city coffers to be able to spend on things like infrastructure, on things like education, on things like all of the things that our city needs. And... What she has been focusing on since she has come, become into the mayor's office is to figure out a way to get some more of that money directed towards us. And we've done deep dives before on the tax dedications, um, and I'm not going to get too much into that now because it's like super wonky. But if you want, if you're interested in that, we did do an episode. Uh, we did one with the mayor herself, and we also did a follow up episode in which we did a deep dive into the tax dedications. And you can check that out with along with all the other episodes of this show by looking up Resistance Trade in New Orleans either on iTunes. You can also find us on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher. Or you can go to uh, our website, whivfm.org, and you can find it on demand there. And then, yep, look up Resistance Radio. So with that as a segue, it really is a pleasure to uh, bring on uh, Miss Christine Brightup, who is the Communications Director for Mayor LaToya Cantrell's PAC, Action New Orleans. They serve as the amplification team for the mayor, helping to shine a light on problems in New Orleans. You can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Action NOLA. Welcome to the uh, show, Christine. How are you? I'm good. Thank y'all for having me. Great. So I know that there's a lot of stuff that that we're here to talk about, certainly talking about the deal that got made uh, last week and maybe helping. We were interested in having you help us understand what exactly that deal was. And then maybe we'll before we even get to that, maybe we'll just take a big step out and just help us understand what the fair share uh, um, help remind our listeners what what fair share is. Yeah, so essentially there are three bills that just got passed through the legislature on the House side, and so they should be coming up on the Senate side, if not this week, then next week. Um, But it's a huge victory for Mayor Cantrell. We're all really excited about it. Um, In the city. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In the city, of course. Um, And for the state of Louisiana, too. Um, So... Look out for those three bills. Um, basically, it's taking 
um, tax revenue that was already in existence um, and moving it so that we get some of those dollars for our infrastructure. Um, and in some cases, we're raising taxes like on short-term rentals. We're going to raise the, um, we would like to raise the taxes to the same rate that um, the hotel taxes are right now. Um, so just to tell you a little bit about um, fair share. So the mayor will always say that um, fair share is all about a lot of different things. Um, but for me, I think it really reminds me of a moment on the campaign. Um, she would tell this story about um, this constituent of hers who would come up to her and say, um, you know, Mayor, I love my city. I love New Orleans, but sometimes I feel like New Orleans doesn't love me back. Mm. We've all been there. Right. And it was um, there yesterday. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. On Mother's Day. Um so I think that's what Fair Share is about, is about making people who live and work in the city of New Orleans feel the love here. Um, there's, there's this really funny Facebook group somebody added me to the other day called Overheard and NOLA. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. But um, there's more than one post where somebody tells a story about um, a tourist that they overheard who did not know that people actually live and work and go to school in the city of New Orleans. They think we live in the suburbs. Um, and and why is that? Um, we're, we're often telling the story of, of tourism. We're, we're talking about our musicians here, but we're not talking about the problems that we face in our city um, or what it's like to actually live here in New Orleans. So that's something that Action New Orleans um, focuses on, is trying to get out the message and... Um, and let people know what what the actual problems are facing our city so that we can address them. Yeah, I mean, I one of the things that I often say, and, and, and with you being here, hopefully maybe you can fact check me, uh, is I often, shortly to kind of help people understand fair share, kind of my quick talking point is that New York City gets 100% of their uh, tourist tax revenues back to them. San Francisco gets about 75% of their tourism tax dollars back to them. And if you look at those cities, those are, Two pretty successful cities. I mean, San Francisco has some issues, but I mean, for the most part, the, these are very well-functioning cities. New Orleans gets about ten percent of their tax tourist tax revenue dollars uh, back to them. Don't you dare! This is where I butt in Ken, and say, actually, it's eleven point two. Kenny, Kenny this is <laughs> our policy wonk. <laughs> yes, um, is that is that a fair way of kind of framing the the, the issue with, with fair share? So, our the idea of fair share is to try to bring those levels, those tourist tax dollars up to San Francisco or even New York, you know, dream with me that we can actually get 100% of our tax dollars back. And essentially the deal that actually passed in Baton Rouge was kind of inching forward into that direction. Right. Um, I think the city of New Orleans speaks for itself. You know, we probably don't need to spend as much on marketing um, as we have been. We are spending like 10 times the amount that Las Vegas spends on marketing for every dollar um, that comes in here. And and like you said, I mean, New York is getting 100% of its hotel taxes back for infrastructure. Um, and we, we're getting the least amount of our hotel taxes back for infrastructure out of all the cities in the major cities in Louisiana, too. So this isn't a Louisiana um, out problem, you know? Um and I think I like to add to that that you know there's the often talked about 20 million 20 million visitor number that 
come to the city. But something that's always left out of that is that two million of those is brought to the to the city by the convention centers. Like, cool, you can get your ten percent. Eighty is not a fair share. Ten percent's fair for the ten percent of people you're bringing of the visitors, but like the city should get the other eighty, not you. Right, <laughs> and I mean, ultimately, um, we're we're compromising with the convention center here. But it's important to note um, that that was one of the battles that we fought was was getting some of these funds that were really excess funds from the convention center. I mean, they were sitting on huge reserves. Um, they're building a park now, which they have called. Um, which the the street in front of it they've called is going to be the nicest street in New Orleans, um, so that kind of breaks our heart a they, little they, bit. They here. need new communications people if they're actually going with that. That's terrible. That's going to be the name of the street. Is going to be the nicest street in New Orleans. <laughs> that would be I, if it was going to be oh. the name. I highly doubt they would do that. That's okay, way, but, but even just no. refer to it that just way. It's like you need to, to take some of the money that you all of the money you have and like hire some new marketing people. That's a terrible way to brand that. Yeah. I mean, we, we want New Orleans to have beautiful things. You know, it's it's going to be nice to have that park across the street um, from the convention center. Um, you know, I'm sure the hotel is going to be beautiful. But the fact is, um, people are doing in-person conventions less across the country. I mean, that's just part of having the Internet. We don't need to travel long distances um, anymore. So um, we'll have to wait and see how much more revenue this will actually bring in um for the city to make all these improvements to the convention center so how did we get to the situation and it, b- before you actually answer that question let me just say that if you're tuned in you're listening to 102.3 whiv this is resistance radio that's kenny francis i'm mark allendary and we are talking to christine bright up who is the communications director for mayor latoya cantrell's pack which is known as uh, action new orleans you can find more information at tw- on Twitter, you can follow them on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram at Action Nola. Uh, Christine, how did we get into the situation that we're in right now? I mean, I know it's years and years. It's like it's like it's trying to peel an onion. As Kenny and I have been going into these deep dives of trying to understand fair share, it's just it, you know it almost seems like it was intentionally meant to be confusing because one, this is not sexy stuff. Nobody likes to think and talk about it, but it's also so complicated because there's so many pieces all over the place. So maybe you can help us understand how we got here. You know, I'll just simply say I I think this is a decades-old problem, and it it goes back to um, some people believing that the city of New Orleans should not be controlling itself and feeling like... (laughs) That's a really nice way to say it. a great way of phrasing (laughs) that. Really nice way. Right. I can see why you're the communications director. (laughs) That's a a really nice way to say it. Kenny and I have other ways of saying it, but that was a very nice way of saying that. By all means... It's a really nice way to say that, like, a consistently white supremacist-controlled state legislature decided to, like, consistently pick on the largest black city in the state that also happens to produce the most revenue. And Kenny wants... Yeah, Kenny that. once actually said, he, I think you called me up as we were going into it. And I think you called me up or texted me. He didn't. You never call me. No. Kenny it's never calls me. Right, right. Calls he texts me. And, he, and, and I think I may have called you back. He's like, guess when Guess when all of the uh, taxes started to move out of uh, out of New Orleans? I'm like, uh, first black mayor? He's like, yep, first black actually, mayor. I remember that was actually the, the only time I've ever actually called you. I was like, right. oh my goodness. Right. This is obvious, <laughs> but come on, y'all. Right. I mean, the first black mayor is when all of this... 
the, these dominoes started to kind of fall at, at that time. So, like you said, a decades-old problem. Um, and if you're missing what I talk about, besides, I'm going to, again, plug going back and listen to the tax dedications episode we did, but like the very, very short version is that when Dutch Morial was elected, these a lot of these tax dedications that changed, that like rerouted money away from the city, happened at the same time that the first black mayor was in charge of the budget. I wonder... Yeah, I wonder why what that's that was all done. about. But back to what you yes. said. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. We didn't mean to interrupt. You were you no, were saying no. yes. So don't let us don't let our cynicism. Uh, <laughs> so um so we so now we're here. Obviously, previous administrations I assume have probably tried to do something uh and uh and major major kudos to the mayor and of course the mayor's team for being able to pull off in yeah. her first year. Uh, you know, they were like the papers were like, "Want somebody at I, I I don't know if it was Times Picayune. Yeah, it was it it was the Times Picayune wrote an editorial about her first year and what a bullshit. Like it was the worst article and it was so mean spirited. You know, and there was nothing in there. And I I wish I could remember the name of the the he's the dude Tim Morris. Yes, yeah, what a horrible human being, Tim Morris. I would love for you to come on WHIV and and support some of these terrible editorials that you have written. And that was a horrible editorial. Here, the mayor actually pulled off something within her first her first year. She pulled off this amazing feat of being able to start to get some of these tax dollars back. Dude, I bet you don't like it when you drive and you hit a pothole. I'm sure you like the streetlights to be on. I'm sure you hate probably when there's a, a water boil advisory, and I hope that your car didn't get flooded yesterday. But in case any of that did, right, the mayor actually did the first steps forward to make something happen, you know? And so, and also, like, let's, I mean, let's talk like brass tax numbers here. We're talking about $50 million up front for sewage and water board. We're talking about $17.5 million over the next five years to include the, to, to um, continue those improvements, we're talking about 26 million recurring dollars coming from the legislature in tax and more taxes to be able to actually pay for our our um, for our infrastructure. So if you're doing math at home, that's almost a hundred million dollars that we didn't have before right. this deal. Right. So like, I know there's a lot to be said about like what's included in the deal and the new hotel being built and all this stuff, but like, it cannot be overstated how big of a deal this is for New Orleans that we are about to have almost $100 million in new revenue coming to the city well, to be able to, to pay to keep us... Like, yet everyone experienced yesterday. Everyone was woken up at 5 a.m. by that absurd storm, which, by the way, they're going to continue to get worse because of global warming and climate change. Three inches of rain in one hour, and right. look what it did to our city. And hurricane season hasn't even properly started yeah, yeah. yet. And, and to be clear... To say that we need this money... It's such a gross understatement. So two things real quickly. One is, just to be clear, it has to go through the Senate. Yes. And do we know – and I want to make a point. I want to go back to yesterday's storm. So what happens when it goes to – what what are the next steps getting it through the Senate? Do we know what – I mean, I'm sure you guys have done – have you guys whipped the vote? Or, like, do you know what it's going to look like when it gets into Senate? Or what what committees are going to go to? Or does it go directly into the – does it go directly – does it get a direct hearing or does it have to go through a committee? I think or? it's just going to go to the Senate floor um, and we're not too nervous about it. But by all means, um, people feel yeah, free to call, call your senators. Your senators. Right. <laughs> so and we and, and obviously the mayor was photographed with the uh, with the uh, governor as part of the press release or at least the announcement. So we're assuming if this bill gets to the governor's uh, desk, he's going to sign it. Yeah, I think he definitely will. Um, you know, when we started out with this process, he was a hard no on um, fair share. 
And <laughs> pray tell. No, I mean that that was in the news. He came out and said no, um, and he has slowly come around. And he was helping out in the negotiation process. Also so. happens to be an election year. <laughs> I'm shocked. Right? We're not complaining. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> Yeah, but I know the mayor is glad to have the governor's support on that. Sure, um, yeah. You know, it was really important that we ha- that we had allies with us um, here, especially toward toward the end of getting them through. Um, and and to your question, so after this is over, then um, the city is actually going to have to vote on raising um, the tax rate for the short term rentals. Mm-hmm. So fingers crossed um, that'll go through. That'll too. be in the November election, or is that when? Um, they haven't said it yet, so I'm guessing it'll be in the fall. Got it. So, October, so because part of the the idea being here essentially is that part of this tax revenue, some of this new revenue we're going to see once the governor signs this, uh, is going to come from an increase in the taxes that are done on uh, Airbnb, so that essentially Airbnbs get considered hotels because that's essentially what they are. And uh, why does the city have to vote on it? Why is there that extra step? The city has to vote on any increase in taxes of any kind. Oh, okay, got it. There you so, go. all right. So, which I mean, I actually think that's good policy. Like the people should have a say oh, in that. I can't. <laughs> I can't wait to have the, the people, the people who are gonna. I can't. We need to start booking them now, right? The folks that are gonna be like against it. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of yeah, course. I mean, like, should, I mean, do you have do you have Saunders' phone number? <laughs> we can. We can go, we can, do you, do you we know what the? We the can just go straight. We can just go straight to the opposition. Like we know who they are. Yeah, I don't know. Um, we'll see how that's going to shake out. I mean, I, w- I would think the majority of the city is going to easily get oh, behind taxing. Yeah. 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 I have more. a feeling it's going to be pretty straightforward. Well, hopefully it doesn't get AstroTurf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, so yesterday, yesterday's storm. So it was. it's very prescient to have you on air today, Christine, uh, given that the storm uh, that happened yesterday, like like Kenny said, I think everybody kind of got woken up by that. Just crazy, massive crazy. thunder, lightning clap that just happened uh, uh, at like five in the morning, and then an unprecedented amount of rain. Three fell. inches. So I think I think and, something that like I was talking to my mom about this today, and um and it wasn't until I like looked this up, but I like you should have called her yesterday, not that, today. Oh, I did talk to my mom yesterday. <laughs> but I was talking about it today, and um. I read it. I read a, a stat online, which like is like sounds so unbelievable when you say it out loud, because I think people always like. They're like, oh, it's just water. It's just rain. Three inches of rain in an hour is such an absurd number. To put that in context, the typical um, calculations are for every inch of rain, that's a foot of snow. So imagine if a city got three feet of snow in one hour, what would happen? Right. Like, the, the, to say that these are like climate ano- like anomalies which are unfortunately increasingly becoming not anomalies are becoming more and more frequent the norm that this is now the second storm we've had like this in two years Th- just imagine that imagine getting three feet of snow in one hour that would shut down anywhere anywhere yeah, yeah, any city course. anywhere that would shut that down yeah i mean i used to live in the i mean you used to live well, both of us lived in the northeast yeah, and we three know feet we, in an yeah, hour yeah that's insane yeah so let me so but the thing that happened yesterday though that i think is so worth us like recognizing is that all the pumps were working and we had that flood 
all the pumps were working. And to really underline Kenny's point, it's not even storm, it's not even uh, hurricane season yet. All the pumps were working, y'all, yesterday, and we got what we got. That just also shows that we are in desperate, desperate uh, need to upgrade and expand the, the the pumping system that we currently have. And of course, th- these new tax dedications are gonna. I'm assuming help kind of do something like that, or at least it's it, that's part of the infrastructure plan. Right. So one thing I want to point out, too, is um, some of the the revenue that we're going to get as part of this fair share deal is going to go toward paying our contractors and our small business owners here locally in New Orleans who have bills that haven't been paid since 2018. Um, And so while we're getting almost $200 million over the next five years, it is still not enough. Um, We have to modernize our infrastructure. And I think people are are, are awoken to that now, or you certainly are after you got all these emergency alerts on Saturday. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think people are going to continue to call for that. But um, I would also like to add that um, after kicking in the money that they're kicking in to this plan, the convention center will still have roughly $180 million in their reserves. I'm just, just, just going to throw that out there. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, um, As we start wrapping up, uh, I mean, we have a few more minutes left, but uh, any other points that you want, uh, Actionola, that we should be aware of? Uh, anything that uh, our listeners can kind of help get the word out there again nobody likes to talk about taxes it's super unsexy i'd like to I think like that to about i'd like to think I that think kenny and i when sexy. we touch taxes we'd like to think of them as being sexy or we when we talk about it i think we make it i i make it sexy kenny is i love taxes i think it's great i think <laughs> talk about where I hear your money's something going. i say taxes are so important i think there's nothing more american than paying your taxes well, no, actually, I would say there's nothing more American than trying to figure out how to get out of paying your taxes. Well, that is the way. <laughs> that's, that's the way that's it is a, now. That's, that's that American. is. But I think moving forward, we should make we should tie paying taxes with patriotism. Screw the military, <laughs> right? Like let's 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 tie paying taxes with being patriotic. Yeah, at least that's the movement. You I just made to. a lot of enemies there. <laughs> good, 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 Christine. No, on on that note, I'll just end by saying um, we also might see SB seventy nine and SB eighty come back up in the legislature, and those would provide tax relief for residents who are struggling um, from gentrification and the high tax assessments that come with that. So those are two bills that I hope everyone will watch out for, see if they come back up and support. Were those the bills that were going to going to create like essentially a cap on like how much your insurance, how much your um, your taxes, your property tax can go up over a certain amount? Right. Of on years. Your tax it's like assessment. over four years, your assessment, mm-hmm. it can't go up more than 50% or you have four years to pay it. Um, yeah, it failed last time, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Great. Um, I do want to make one more point here while we have you. I would say, yeah. one, uh, I would love to just, like, on a personal level, like, commend the work that y'all have done um, because I think you guys have taken something that is a complicated issue and explained it in ways that has built a real coalition behind that. And I think that that's, that's amazing work that y'all have done in explaining a very complicated issue in an accessible way that isn't just for, like, policy wonks that folks can understand, like, this is what we're actually trying to do. So I think that's, like, commendable and what you guys have accomplished. Um, and I also want to take a moment to hear and say that, like, you know, I think one of the things we love about doing this show is that, like, we can disagree with elected officials, we can agree with them, There's, but it is an undeniable win for the city of New Orleans what Mayor Cantrell has done. And the first black woman who has become the mayor of New, of New Orleans has gotten something done that you said is a decades-old problem that other folks have not been able to get done. 
this is a good thing for New Orleans. Like you could say what you want about all the things, but like this is a big deal. It's a good thing. And I think that, like, frankly, if she wasn't a black woman running a city in the South, people would be singing her praises right now rather than be like, oh, well, that's what she's supposed to do. Um, so in honor of that, we're going to go out with our other queen of the day, <laughs> Before I Let Go by Beyonce. Um, thank you, Christine. Um, thank you, Mark Allen. Christine Brightup is the communications director for Mary LaToya Cantrell's PAC, Action Nola. More information about them can be found at Action Nola on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank Kenny. We'll see you all. Oh, next week we've got... Uh, Russell Honoré. Russell Honoré, L- L- Lieutenant General Russell Honoré at uh, the Ace Hotel. Come out and see us do that show live. Thank you. Before-